Amen. Amen. Thank you, Ryan. Well, happy Resurrection Day. Uh, this is our big day, as I always say. It's the Super Bowl of Christianity. And if you really think about it, I mean, without the resurrection, we have nothing. We have nothing to offer. With the resurrection, we have everything. I mean, I mean if Jesus did not rise from the, from the dead... I mean, I guess you got to choose. You could party with the pagans or you could row with the religious. I'd probably choose partying with the pagans. But both of those, as we've been learning in Romans, are a type of slavery. But we have been set free by the truth of Jesus Christ that He is alive and that we can have a true relationship with God. I want to look at a passage this morning on... Uh, Resurrection Day, I want to look at a passage written by a man who saw the resurrected Jesus. He was a man who did not believe in the resurrection. Now, he saw the miracles of Jesus. He saw Jesus raise the dead. But for some reason, Christ's followers did not believe he could raise himself. And so they did not believe. This man who wrote this text today, he denied even knowing Jesus. He boasted that he would never deny the Lord. But when Jesus was arrested, he was terrified and thought they would kill him too. And he succumbed to his fear and he denied knowing the Lord. And then he ended up with the rest of the disciples the spokesmen for the world, the followers of Jesus, and they're all hiding behind locked doors, scared for their lives. And as a matter of fact, um, only the women, the women were brave enough to go to the tomb, and they thought they were going to find Jesus dead, and they wanted to put burial spices on his body. But he was not there. And Mary Magdalene was the first who saw Jesus alive. And they went back and told these guys hiding behind locked doors, Hey, someone's taking Jesus' body. You know, and they started thinking, Well, you know, he said he would rise from the grave. But yet, what did those men think? The women's words, Scripture says, they thought it was nonsense. They did not believe. But something happened. They saw the risen Savior. Peter, who writes this today, saw the living Jesus. And what happened was they were so filled with hope, it transformed their lives. And these cowards, hiding behind locked doors, went out and told the world that Jesus was alive. And and they actually went to their deaths. But they felt like they were invincible because they knew the resurrection was true. So I want to talk about resurrection hope today. Paul says there's the big three, you know. There's there's faith, there's hope, and there's love. And and he tells us the greatest is love because without love we're nothing. 
But a lot of times in church, I really think when I look at those three, we talk a lot about faith, we talk a lot about love, but sometimes hope right in the middle gets left out. And it's so vitally important. Hope is a powerful thing. Interesting experiment that was done in the 1950s. A biologist by the name of Kurt Richter did an experiment. He would do all kinds of experiments. He actually wrote a book about experiments he did on rats. And he did this kind of a cruel experiment, I admit, where he got a group of rats, put them in a tub of water to see how long they would swim. And these rats trapped in that tub of water with no purpose, nothing to swim for, nothing to live for, says that they swam for 15 minutes before they began to struggle and give up and drown. So Richter got another group of rats and he put them in a tub of water. And those rats began to swim. And when Richter saw that they were about and they were swimming 15, 20 minutes, when he saw they were struggling, when he saw they couldn't go any longer, he reached in and rescued the rats and took them out from drowning. And then he put the rats back in the, the tub, the tank, whatever it was. And to his surprise, those rats swam longer than the other rats that swam for some 15 minutes. How much longer? 60 hours. Two and a half days. What was the difference? They had hope. They thought someone was going to rescue them. And so they swam and had, and it carried them on. You know, modern day science, they research rats. And they have found that rats down in the sewer can swim for days. Why? Because they have purpose. They're looking for food. They multiply down there. They're looking for a pipe so they can crawl up in your toilet and bite you while you're sitting there. So those of you that feel sorry for the rats, you won't when that happens. <laughs> but hope, listen folks, hope is a powerful thing. And we're not rats. I know we act like it sometimes as sinners. But we are people that God created and yes, we're sinful, but this is the whole message of Easter. Jesus came to die for our sin, and he rose from the grave to fill us with hope. And it's a different kind of hope. It's an out-of-this-world hope. So let's see it. It's a hope. It's a hope for all time. It's a hope for all times. So number one, the resurrection power gives us hope from the past. Uh, verse 3. Peter writes and he says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. That word blessed in the Greek is basically saying God is awesome. He's set apart from all others. Man, may we worship Him. May we praise Him. That's why we're here today. For what He has done in our salvation. 
and confirmed by rising from the dead. Now this verse, it's what we call a Trinitarian verse. Because what we see is we see our triune God in this verse. We see God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. He says, blessed be God the Father. We know the Father is God. Nobody, nobody argues that. But then it says, our Lord Jesus Christ. In the Greek, kyrios. That's the equivalent from the Old Testament, translated kyrios. And in the Old Testament, Lord is translated what? Jehovah, Adonai, Yahweh. So Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd. Who is that? That's God, right? You could say it, you could pronounce, you could translate it this way. Jesus is my shepherd. Because he is God the Son. You might say, well, yeah, but where's the Holy Spirit in there? Well, the Holy Spirit is the one that's making you born again into the living hope. That's God the Holy Spirit, not a force, a person. And Jesus talked about this, and we've been studying the Gospel of John, and, and he talked to Nicodemus, and you know he taught the disciples, and Peter knew about it, that it's the Holy Spirit that comes and makes us born again on the inside that gives us this living hope. And I know some of you out there, you're new to this, and you know you hear people say, I'm, not one of, I'm a Christian, but I'm not one of those born-again Christians. There is no other kind. But I know that, that there are people claiming to be born again that sometimes they're just religious crazy. And of course, the enemy wants to do that. He wants to make born again look like it's crazy. So, you know, somebody claims they're born again, you know, and you got these churches and people are, people are crawling around on the floor saying they're filled with the Holy Spirit, foaming at the mouth, flipping around. You say, Pastor Frank, is that biblical? Oh, yes, it's biblical. It's called demon possession. That anytime you see that in Scripture, that's what you see. Amazing how the devil counterfeits what, what born again means. And whenever Jesus casted out a demon, he casted out that crazy guy in the, hanging out in the graveyards, naked, breaking chains. When he casted the demons out of that man, Scripture says, he was in his right mind. He was dressed and in his right mind. That's what the Holy Spirit will do. That's what the true Holy Spirit of the baptism of the Holy Spirit will do. It'll put you in your right mind. It won't make you religious crazy. So born again is a beautiful term, and it and it happens within us, puts us in our right mind, and puts power within our soul. And Peter says, this is according to God's great mercy he's done this for you. It's God's mercy. It's nothing you do. It's nothing I do. So if you're new, you're visiting, people visit, I, yeah, I better go to church on Easter. That's the good thing to do. Yeah, I got to straighten up my life. Yeah, I better, start being, I better start being a better person. Yeah, yeah. No. That's not what Christianity's about. Christianity is about coming to the mercy of God, that you are a sinner, you have no hope, no hope with, without coming to God's mercy. And he gives you that mercy through Jesus Christ and confirms it through the revel 
the resurrection. And Peter says this is a living hope. A living hope. This isn't, oh, I hope I have a good day tomorrow. Oh, I hope I win the lottery. Oh, I hope my kids don't beat up the teacher today. Oh, I hope this. No, this is, this is like a noun. This is like a living hope. It's inside of you. And nothing in this life can take that away. That's what Peter's saying. It happened in the past. We believe that it happened in the past. But it should be transforming your life today. So number one, we get hope from the past. Number two, we get hope for the future. Peter says, because of the resurrection, we're going to, verse 4, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. Uh, the Apostle Peter here, you know, he's praising God. He's opening up this First Peter, this letter, and he just can't contain himself. And he starts talking about what's our inheritance that's waiting for us in heaven in the future. It's imperishable. It's undefiled, unfading. I hope I don't mess this up. Listen to these Greek words. It is a parthos. It is a meantos. It is a marintos. You notice they all rhyme? Peter's so excited. He's, the fisherman Peter is now becoming a poet. He's so excited because of the resurrection. And listen, the people that write poetry, they're not sissies, okay? Because uh, King David wrote poetry, and he cut off Goliath's head, okay? So you don't want to mess with some guys that write poetry. And he's just breaking out in praise and poetry. And what he's saying is that it's imperishable. There's, it, it, nothing can corrupt our inheritance. Um, it's undefiled. Nothing can ruin it. We put our hope in so many things in this life. So many things can ruin it. In this life, uh, are there guarantees? We got banks collapsing, you know? And I hear people go, people say, well, don't, just calm down. Everything's going to be all right. See, because of you guys like you, God has to humble you, and then it messes with us all. Because it might not be all right. You don't know if it's going to be all right. And, and this life, don't you say everything's going to be all life in this life, because anything can be ruined at any moment. Peter says it's unfading. Our inheritance cannot fade away. And it's being kept. It's being kept. Greek, tereo, te it means it's reserved in heaven and guarded by God. You think anybody can get past God to take away your salvation? No. And Peter is saying, you know what he's saying here? He's saying that the second law of thermodynamics that we deal with on earth cannot affect our salvation. You might say, well, wait a minute now. <laughs> what is the second law of thermodynamics? Well, this is true science. This is the law of entropy. Okay. Um, now, 
You don't hear a lot, a lot about this in public school, okay? Because you learn about evolution in the public school, which is fairy tales for grown-ups. It's really religion. Let me tell you about the second law of thermodynamics. The second law of thermodynamics is a scientific law that tells us chaos cannot produce a system. In other words, here's a second law of thermodynamics. Remember when the hurricane came through here recently? Man came through, went through Punta Gorda. You know, there's some junkyards in Punta Gorda. Did the hurricane create anything? Some big bangs going on with that hurricane. Big explosions, big wind. You see, you see a F-150 and go, brand new F-150 truck and go, wow, maybe a hurricane went through the junkyard. No, you know somebody designed that. Why? Because it's the law, second law of thermodynamics. Chaos cannot make a system, yet they're teaching our kids this. And you know what else? The second law of thermodynamics tells us the universe is dying down. People are dying down. Uh, I hate to tell you this. The universe is not evolving. And you know what? You're not evolving. Sorry. Okay? You are devolving. That's true science. That's what the Bible tells us. And Peter is telling us that the second law of thermodynamics that we deal with on this sinful planet that is dying down, our inheritance in heaven cannot be affected by that. And it's, a, it's, an, it's an eternal security verse. And Peter would know, wouldn't he? Wouldn't Peter? Wouldn't Peter know about how his salvation is kept even though he denied the Lord? Even though Satan was after him? Uh, Peter said, Satan wants to sift you like wheat, Peter. Peter would later write in this book, the devil prowls around looking for someone he can devour. But guess what? The power of the devil and the power of the sin cannot take our salvation away that's kept in heaven by God. That's good news. And you might wonder, well, you know, you know, see, you got Judas who betrayed Jesus, and Jesus let him go. You got Peter who denied Jesus, and it was a betrayal. But yet, with Peter, Jesus comes and shows him resurrected self to Peter and tells him he's forgiven and restores him. Why? Because Peter was a true believer. And his salvation was kept and secure. And Peter knew this. Judas was not a true believer. Uh, Jesus said he was a devil from the beginning. He didn't lose his salvation. Listen, you can't lose something you don't have. But Peter had true salvation, so it was kept for him. I love this verse, Revelation 3, 5. Um, Jesus is writing to the church, and he's writing to these ancient churches, but it applies to all churches today and to Christians like us today. And he makes this promise. And he says this, The one who conquers will be clothed thus in white garments. Some of your Bibles say, The one who overcomes. And that sounds like, i got to overcome. Like i got to work and overcome myself. No. 
1 John tells us what an overcomer is. What's an overcomer? The person that believes in Christ. You're an overcomer. You're a conqueror. It's a done deal. And he says this. He says, we'll be clothed thus in white. That's symbolic. Um, that we're, we're cleansed from our sin. So we're purified. And he says, I will never blot his name out of the book of life. I will confess his name before my father and before his angels. Jesus says in heaven, say, Father, he's going to look at you and say, this one's mine. And of course the father knows that. But Jesus likes saying that you're his. And he's going to tell the angels, this person is mine. He belongs to me. And he's going to tell the angels to serve you. You know, you got a lot of people thinking they die and become angels. False teaching. Okay? You don't become an angel. You're, you become a, you, you're, you're, you're a person. You're going to have a resurrected body. And the angels are going to serve you, the book of Hebrews says. Angels are angels. People are people. Okay? But, but, but let's focus on that. I will never blot his name from my book of life. Some translations say, I will never erase his name from the book of life. Scripture tells us the book of life has been written before the world was created. God wrote your name down if you're a believer in Jesus Christ. Is that awesome? And here's the promise. He will never erase your name. Do you know what never means in the Greek? Never. Never, yeah. Uh, hey, uh, but you know what's amazing about people, about misguided Christians? They will read this verse, and instead of the seeing the promise of eternal security, God will never erase my name. They're like, I didn't know God had an eraser. I didn't know he had a blotter. I didn't know he might erase people. He's saying he'll never do it. So people who say, who people who say oh yeah, God will erase your name. They're saying God's a liar. That's a big deal. You know, I used to think this debate about whether you could lose your salvation wasn't a big deal. You know, these people believe you can lose it. They'll just be a little bit more tired than the rest of us that know you can't lose it. But this is, this is it's a works gospel. Because you're saying you've got to keep working to keep your salvation or you're going to lose it. That's a false gospel, I hate to tell you. So it's a bigger deal than we think in, the, in this debate. But anyway, we have hope for the future. Listen, and I know that's another sermon on another day. I know it's Easter, but I know I drank coffee again today. I told myself, cut down on the coffee. Uh, <laughs> listen, number two, we have hope for the future. Number three, and this is so good. This is application for our lives sitting here today. We have hope for the present. Uh, 1 Peter 1, 6-7 says, In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the, testing, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So Peter says, because of the resurrection, because of the power of it, 
and the spirit of it that comes within you, even though we suffer in this life, we can have joy. Even though you're grieved by various trial, the Greek word there would be poikilos. It means various colors, various kinds. We all have various kinds of trials, don't we? Within our church, people have, there's so many various trials going on in people's lives. And, and we believe in the resurrection. And it's in our heart. But yet we have trials. We have, we have money problems. We have work problems. We have marriage problems. We have, we have health problems. And on and on and on. And we experience all these various trials. And I want to tell you, I want to be honest with you today. And I know it's Easter and we get a lot of visitors. But a lot, there's a lot of Easter services today. And it's all designed, everything's fluff. Everything's fluff. Everything's positive attitude. Nobody's going to say anything about hell on Easter. Nobody's going to say anything about trials on Easter. Nobody's going to say anything about Christians suffering on Easter. Because it's all about we got to make people happy. we got to get them to come back. And listen, I know some of you are never coming back, so I might as well tell you the truth today. <laughs> all right? And the, and, and the deal is this. Peter is saying, people say, come to Jesus and all your problems will go away. It's the exact off, opposite. Come to Jesus and your problems begin. <laughs> yeah. But, but, you have problems with a purpose. God is sovereignly controlling all these trials and these things that go on in your life. And Peter says that it, it tests your faith. Not that God needs to see if you have faith. He already knows you have it. It's so you can see that you have faith. And you get through a trial, and all of a sudden God fills you with hope and peace, and you face something so hard, and you get through it, and, and now your hope is booming. And this is what God does. And it builds character within us. So Peter is saying, we would want this. We would want this. But there's something about us, even me, man. I'm not praying today, God, please give me some trials so I can grow. <laughs> Who prays that? We probably should, though. So I just, when I have them, I just go, I didn't ask for these, God, but, you know, I'm learning to say thank you because God is doing a work in our life. And he says, our faith is more precious than gold because gold in this life perishes. But our faith in Jesus Christ, and we talked about it, that will carry us to eternity forever. And so we praise Jesus Christ for His revelation, for His truth about the resurrection from the dead. So, you, let me give you an illustration. It's, I made this up, okay? It's just a made-up illustration. But you call an airline. You call an airline and you, and you ask them what their flight is like. And the first airline you call, they say to you, we want to be honest with you up front. Uh, when you are riding on our aircraft, our plane, 
you are guaranteed to face turbulence. It's going to be bumpy. Every now and then that oxygen thing is going to come down and you're going to have to breathe some. Just hang in there. It's going to be a rough ride. All we got is peanuts and water, by the way. I hate those peanut water flights. Give me, give me a sandwich for crying out loud. I just gave you 300 bucks. Uh, <laughs> but, but anyway, so this flight's saying turbulence, bumpy, peanuts, water. But they say, however, our landing gear is the best. Our landing gears, no, our plane has never crashed. We guarantee you will land safe. Bumpy ride, but we will get you there safe. And you're like, okay. So you go, but I, yeah, I want to get a second opinion because I don't like that first stuff, right? And so you call another airline. And this airline right away is selling you saying, so glad you called because our airline absolutely absolutely guarantees the most smoothest flight on earth no turbulence ever you uh, we serve steak and lobster and all the drinks are free smooth flight we are gonna pamper you this entire flight and then you say what about the landing and they say well we don't have landing gear we had to sell that to get all that other cool stuff. You're going to crash. <laughs> You're going to crash on our flight. But listen, it's going to be the smoothest ride ever. You're going to enjoy it so much until you crash. Which airline would you choose? <laughs> hey, think about this world. Jesus said, enter through the narrow gate because it's hard. It's hard, but that road leads to life. But wide is the gate that leads to destruction. And the wide gate, the people of this world, that's what they want. They want this world's comfort. They want all the goodies. They want all that, and they have no idea. They're in for a big crash. But we who believe in Jesus Christ, yeah, we have turbulence. And yeah, it gets bumpy. But God is going to give us a safe landing. And he's going to be right next to us right next to us, holding us whenever life gets turbulent. So we have hope for the present. And thirdly and finally, let's talk about we have hope for the persuaded. Hope for the persuaded. When you are persuaded, it'll fill you with incredible hope. So verses 8 and 9 says, Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. I love that. The outcome of our faith is salvation for our souls. How much is that worth? Do you know what your soul is worth? that's going to live for eternity somewhere. And so Peter says, even though we haven't seen him, listen, no one here, we ha I haven't seen Jesus. We don't, we don't see Jesus now. That happened at a special time. For those that were writing Scripture, they saw him. 
And I know there are people who claim to see Jesus today, but they're smoking Fruit Loops, okay? They, they, they saw Willie Nelson while they were smoking Fruit Loops. It was not Jesus, okay? These people say they see, when John saw the resurrected Jesus, he fell down dead. There was some pastor says, I was shaving in my bathroom. Jesus walked in. Well, if you didn't fall down on the ground, that wasn't Jesus. It's just, it's silly. It's silly and gullible people buy these books and stuff. It's crazy out there, folks. Stay away from all that, please. Um, but we haven't seen him, but there's something within us. We know him. We know he's there. And people mock that, okay? Uh, when the Russians went into space, the Russians went into space for the first time, you know, 1961. And one of the Russian atheists that was associated with the space flight said, he boasted, we went into space and we didn't see God. In other words, God's not there, right? Well, you didn't go far enough, idiot, okay? I mean, I mean, are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? You went into space? Do you know how vast this universe is? And the God, listen, that Scripture says lives in unapproachable light. You better be glad you didn't see him because it would have melted your rocket ship and that goofy space suit you were wearing. People don't realize what they're saying when they mock God like this. And Psalm 14.1 says, Only a fool says in his heart, there is no God. But we see Him. We see, we see Him even though we don't see Him. Because we see Him spiritually. We, we see what He does in our lives as we walk in faith. I want to show you this. One of my favorite passages of the resurrection. This is found in John 20. This is the account of Thomas. We call him Doubting Thomas. I don't judge Thomas because my middle name is Thomas. I was a skeptic. Okay, I was a skeptic. And I'm still kind of skeptical about so many things. I was a doubter. I was a doubter. All right? So if you're visiting today and you're a doubter, you're a skeptic, you're in good company with, with people who walked with Christ, they doubted. And after Jesus appeared to the disciples, Thomas wasn't there and he refused to believe. He told them, I'm not going to believe. He was so hurt and distraught that Jesus was dying. He loved Jesus. But he said, I won't believe unless I see the nail prints in his hands, probably in his wrists and his feet. And it says this in John 20, a week later, his disciples were in the house again. And Thomas was with them. And, through the, and though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. <laughs> I don't know. Peace be with you. I might scare you when someone comes walking through the wall and resurrected person. Verse 27, Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands. Reach out your hand and put it in my side. Stop doubting and believe. And I love this. Thomas said to him, My Lord and my God. Who's he calling Jesus? God. You would think Jesus would say, oh, No, wait, wait a minute. No, 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 no. 
hey, I'm a Jehovah Witness. Don't call me God. No. No. He commends Thomas for calling him God. Verse 29, then Jesus told him, because you have seen me, the, re- the resurrected Son of God, God the Son, you have believed. But watch this. This is good for all of us here. Blessed are those who have not seen, yet have believed. Happy are those, even though they haven't seen me, and yet they believe. And the idea is, when you believe, you will see. Not God physically in this life, but you will see His work. Jesus said this, Matthew 5, 8, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. And of course, we'll have resurrected bodies, so we'll be able to see God in eternity without being disintegrated. But in the Sermon on the Mount, the context of this is what, what the kingdom of God looks like on earth. And he says, the people of my kingdom, they'll have pure hearts because they'll be born again. And when they have a pure heart and I cleanse their heart and put my spirit within me, they'll see me. Do you see God at work in the little things in your life? God has made himself so real to me lately. So real. And the idea is, if we continue to walk in faith, sometimes we feel like God's a million miles away, even though he's right next to us. And then there are other times he will allow things so we will be able to see him. One final verse and we'll close. 2 Timothy 1.12. Paul, the Apostle Paul, maybe the greatest Christian ever, but yet he also suffered more than ever. So I think right there tells us that even the best Christians suffer and go through trials. Paul says this. He says, which is why I suffer as I do, but I am not ashamed, for I know whom not, who I believed, and I am convinced. Some of your Bibles say, I am persuaded that he is able to guard until that day what he has been entrusted to me they asked jesus jesus what is the work that god requires what is the work that god requires to be accepted by him and jesus said to believe in the one he has sent what does god require what is the number one thing to believe in jesus christ but listen Sometimes we don't understand. That word believe doesn't mean, I believe it in my mind, kind of, because I know Jesus is in the encyclopedia. I believe kind of, maybe, maybe he's there. No, the belief he's talking about, you believe it with your heart, you believe it with your, your life, you are convinced, you are persuaded. And even when you go astray, You keep coming back and God keeps making himself so real to you. Brothers and sisters, this salvation we have is incredible. And let me tell you something. The resurrection is something way more than a historical event. It transforms our lives. May you hear God's voice today. May may the Holy Spirit confirm in your heart. May you go to another level in your faith. And may God fill you with that living hope.
pray with me this morning. Please pray with me. Thank you so much for your kindness and tension. Thank you for putting up with me even when I drink too much coffee. Uh, but sometimes when I say crazy things like that, at least it keeps you awake, right? But I'll tell you, every true pastor, what they want, they want you to hear the Word of God. They want you to experience the Spirit of God. They really want you to forget anything the pastor said. But only remember what God has said. And what God has said to you, embrace it and welcome it. Realize how much God loves you. Realize how blessed God is for giving us mercy. Giving us salvation. And our salvation is secure. And we have the power of hope to get through our trials until Jesus comes or until He takes us home. May we be persuaded. May we be convinced. God, I pray for the person visiting. I pray for the person that's going to watch today. Lord, draw them to You. Draw them to You. May they cry out to You for mercy. And God, I know You will answer. You will save them. For Christians, God, I pray that You'd fill them with hope. I pray, God, You would take Christians to another level and they would understand the hourglass on earth is ticking out. Time is short. Our life is a mist. May we all finish strong for your glory. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, let's stand. We're going to sing one final worship song. I love this song. I heard it last night. And we didn't plan this, but the, the words of this song go with these scriptures we read today. May they bless your heart.